For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Built for Playmakers podcast. I'm your host, Kelvin Hunt, editor of chopchat.com. Hope you guys are doing well. Welcome to episode 58. Uh, a few days after FSU's big-time win over the rival Florida Gators. State champions, baby, for the first time since 2016. Going to talk a little bit about that game. Uh, a lot of big-picture stuff, FSU defense, transfer portal. Um, so uh, those of you that have been rocking with me since day one, appreciate you tuning in. This is your first time. Thank you for giving me a chance. i um, going to go ahead and thank our sponsor, BetOnline.ag. Before we get into everything, and um, off we go. So, um, basketball is back, and BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, BetOnline features live betting, free contests, giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events, whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure you use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. But yeah, man, uh, man, what a game. What a game. Uh I wrote a. I didn't have a lot of time to to uh, write as in depth of a, as I wanted to about the game on Chop Chat. Uh, I wrote a quick little preview there. Uh, I think the day of, or maybe the day before the game, uh, predicted that for you to win. Um, thought they would win. I thought they would cover. And had had Ryan Fitzgerald not missed a field goal, we would have won by ten and covered the nine and a half um, spread that opened. But, you know, nevertheless, big time win for the program. And this is this is exactly where you want to be going into the offseason. Um, you know, five straight wins, big time momentum, state champions, demolished one of them. And, you know, I, I thought you I thought you you played you know fairly well overall um, in the Florida game, aside from a few a few plays here and there that, that kind of cost you and kept the game closer than it than it needed to be. Um but yeah, so I wanted to give some quick thoughts, uh, just some, you know, I've listened to a few podcasts that I normally listen to and, um, you know, you got the usual talking points, uh, you know, about different things and whatnot, but what I wanted to go, go with is right off the bat, um, you know, Adam Fuller, you know, you guys know, if you listen to this podcast before, you know, I mean, I don't think Adam Fuller is elite by any means, but I think he gets a bad rap <clears throat> and we're going to talk about that, you know, later on in the podcast, but, um, you know, the offense uh, gets a big explosive play, fumbles to open a game, and Florida gets the ball you're right there on at midfield, basically. And you're like, oh, man. You know, I mean, the worst thing that can happen is, you know, you turn the ball over, you know, Florida go right down the score and go up, like, immediately and take your crowd out of the game, right? So, of course, uh, Pokey Wilson fumbles. Just as he did last year against Florida, although that was a punt. But, you know, 
this has been overlooked a lot about almost everybody. You know, I haven't heard anybody talk about it, but I can't tell you how big the stop the defense got um, on Florida's first possession whenever FSU turned it over. Um, I mean, basically, you know, they went for it was fourth and two. I mean, we're talking about uh, one of the best offensive lines in the country in Florida. You know, I said that in a preview, you know, that they don't give up a bunch of tackles for a loss. They don't give up. They only gave up 12 sacks uh, going into um, that game all season. And it's fourth and two. And you're like, oh, man, you know, you got a, a huge quarterback that can basically just fall forward for two yards. And if she plays disciplined defense and and gets the stop and then allows the, the offense to go down and, and score on two plays to go up seven, nothing. Man, that was huge, huge, um, you know, by the FSU defense. Now, granted, you know, we'll, we'll talk about some of the, you know, the, the, the negative things, but that was, that was a big time play by the defense. So I, I like to give credit where it's due. Um, granted, you know, Florida comes right down, uh, comes right back and scores on one play uh, on a, on a coverage bust and the, the, the coverage, the, the broadcast was so terrible. I still, I still don't know exactly what happened on that play. Um, I know some people that were there, it was like, it was a double move or something like that. Um, but it was a blown coverage and, you know, it shouldn't happen. But I mean, that's, I mean, you, you, you know, how can you blame the defensive coordinator for that? I mean, the, the, the players out there, you got to make a play. And that, and that was, and that was the case too, <clears throat> on a couple of those long touchdowns that they, uh, they allowed, um, Kevin Knowles gets beat inside. I promise you they don't teach that. And, you know, he's he's kind of there in, in the trail technique. And uh, it was a really good throw by AR. And uh, obviously, um, you know, Pearsall goes in the scores on, on another explosive play. But again, you know, I promise you they're not teaching that technique at practice. And, and it kind of reminds me, I know some people say, well, if you're, you know, if you're, uh, you know, if you're allowing it or tolerating it or whatever, you know, it's on the coach. But I, listen, I can tell you. If you haven't listened to the podcast before, I, I played college baseball. And so I, I kind of refer to that a lot of times or just in the past in general for different different ways to kind of relate. Right. So when I was a freshman in college, uh, I had a huge problem with swinging at high pitches uh, in general, but especially like if I got down in the count. Like if it was like, oh, two, the book on me was, hey, throw him a high fastball. He'll swing at it. Right. And my coach. I mean, would drill me in the head, not drill me in the head, but, you know, like, hey, you know, you got to lay off the pitch. Uh, we were simulated in practice. You know, I mean, what, I'll stay at the practice, all different, put all different types of time in. And it wasn't something that I just was able to overcome overnight, um, you know. And so although it was being drilled in my head, like, hey, you know, you, you know, they're going to throw the pitch, you know, up, you know, when you're down in the count. You know, you got to lay off that pitch or whatever. You know, it didn't happen overnight. It took it was a process. And it took probably, man, a good half of the year before I, I really was could consistently lay off of that pitch. Right. So, you know, just because you see something happen in a game um, doesn't, you know, you doesn't necessarily blame it on the coach. I mean, like I said, the players out there, um, you know, they go over this stuff all the time in practice. Uh, but whenever you're talking about split second decisions, sometimes, you know, you, you know, players just don't trust the technique that they're taught and you get what you get. Right. And so I know a lot of people were like, Oh, you know, you know, Adam full of this, I'm full of that or whatever. But 
if you take away like five plays, five or six plays in the game, mind you, they were playing uh, without some guys uh, in in the secondary. Akeem Dent was, you know, banged up. You saw uh, Sidney Williams out there at times. Matter of fact, that one long touchdown run they give out give up late in the game. It was Sidney Williams and Amari Gaynor out there, and they won't even line up properly. Um, and that's that's why they give up that long touchdown run. So if you remove like five plays, I mean, Florida averages like three three yards per play. Now, granted, you can't do that. The plays happen, but um, you know it just goes back to. Uh, overall, if you remove, you know, a few plays, you know, they, they really shut down a potent offense. So when you look at advanced metrics, FEI, uh, Florida came to the game, uh, number 21 in the country. Uh, they came in averaging over like 32 points per game, averaging, um, like over six and a half yards per play. And I mean, you got a, a huge, a big athletic quarterback, a good offensive line. And granted they were missing, you know, a few of their wide receivers or whatnot, but their bread and butters are getting the ball and moving it on the ground either way. So, um, so, so to be able to, uh, aside from those few plays, um, you know, kind of shut them down, especially in the second half and that third quarter when you absolutely had to have it, you know, one, the knock on, you know, Adam Fuller is, Oh, he's going to automatically give up a touchdown. Uh, whenever teams get the ball first in, th- in the third quarter, guess what? They got like two or three, three and outs in a row. And that third quarter was the catalyst that allowed FSU to build a two touchdown lead um, going into, um, you know, the end of the third, early fourth quarter. And they only gave up uh, 55 total yards in that whole third quarter. You know, so I I see a lot of people, you know, they just want to talk about all the negatives or whatnot. Um, But, you know, the defense, uh, you know, had had some opportunities and made some plays. And even Jerry and Jones made a play, you know, had an interception. And of course, you know, that was the uh, possession of the offense wasn't able to capitalize on Mr. Field Gold. And that seems to be the case a lot of times. It feels like um, whenever FSU gets a turnover, everybody's like, well, they never get turnovers, never get turnovers. And then when they do get a turnover, the offense can't capitalize on it. So it kind of goes, you know, kind of goes both ways. And then there were a couple of times where the defense, you know, had to had to defend defend the short field again. Florida had a, a long kickoff return where basically they returned it to midfield. And then I think uh, there was another opportunity where um, Coach Novell went forward on fourth down. It was fourth and 12 when he went forward. I think Florida wound up getting the ball around the 35, 40-yard line to start that drive. And a lot of people were questioning Novell for the decision to go forward on fourth and 12. And I I get it. You know, if you punt there, even if you pin them at the 10-yard line, you're talking about, you know, 20 yards of, of field position. And, you know, Florida has a leaky defense and, and they were real grabby um, as far as, um, you know, pass interferences and things like that. So, you you know, it was kind of a roll of dice like, hey, we we might be able to get this first down either, uh, you know, by a, a completion if the wide receivers could catch the ball or a defensive pass interference, um, things like that, opposed to just punting and and maybe only netting uh, 20 yards of, uh, of, of field position. Um, but yeah, and then too, going back to the defense, you know, everybody, you know, going back to the LSU game, how, um, you know, people were like, oh, well, LSU marched right down the field and, you know, they scored a touchdown and if they would have gone for two, they would have won the game. And, but when you look at, when you look back at it though, um, Louisville had the ball 
uh, last. And they were, you know, they had an opportunity to go down and, and win the game on their last position. And uh, the defense stood up, got an interception, closed the game out. And then this particular game, Florida has the ball with an opportunity to um, potentially, you know, tie the game up. And they, um, you know, they get a stop. And there's a couple other games where the defense was able to get stops. Um, now, granted, there's some other times when they, they were not able to get stops or whatever. But um, I think overall, you look at this defense and, um, you know, it's it's improved drastically uh, since 2020, whenever um, Adam Fuller got here. And when I think about it, it kind of it kind of goes like this. Right. A lot of people say, oh, well, you know, this defense is is not elite and or not even good or you know they're they're terrible or they beat up on teams that have bad offenses or we played against a backup quarterback or or whatever um and no they're not elite because they don't have how many elite players do you have on the defense how many how many guys on that defense and i've said this several podcasts before how many guys on the defense are going to go in the first round you may have one arguably in jared verse he might go in the first round other than that, you don't have anybody else out there that's going to go in the first round. Um, Jamie Robinson, hey, I love him. Outstanding safety. Great, very good college safety. Um, probably not going to get drafted in the first two or three rounds. Probably later rounds. Fabian Lovett, um, not a first rounder. Um, maybe second, third round. Maybe, you know, Robert Cooper, probably late, you know, if he gets drafted. Um, you know, so the linebackers, you know, you know, you don't see them on many draft boards and and they'll probably come back more than likely. I hope they come back. Gosh, I hope they come back and it will be huge if they come back. Um, and then as far as DBs go, I mean, you have a potential guy in AZ Thomas eventually probably who, who could get drafted. Um, but other than that, man, I mean, you just don't you just don't have a ton of talent in well, a ton of elite talent out there. So how how can you expect the defense to be elite or play at, at an elite level when you just don't have the players? And on top of that, you don't have the depth. I mean, you lose one player in Fabian Lovett, and you there is a significant drop off. There is nothing. There's nothing the defensive coordinator can do about that other than plug somebody in there and hope that there's not a, a steep drop off. You know, I saw somebody on, on Twitter talking about they were blaming they were blaming the defensive coordinator because the defensive line was getting whipped at the line of scrimmage. Bro, there's nothing there's nothing you can do about that. You know, if a guy's physically stronger than you and can move you, there's there's nothing you can do. It's a it's a talent, it's a personnel issue. All right. And if you have a defense that's good to very good, but you lose one or two guys and there's a, a significant drop off, that tells you what the what the issue is. Granted, you know, every every coach can improve. Um, you know, no coach is perfect. Uh, I mean, going you can go back and look at the twenty twelve defense. That that defense was elite. I mean, they gave up like fourteen points per game. 
Um, they gave up, oh gosh, I think it was something like 4.2 yards per play, something like that, something crazy. But when you look at when they played Clemson that year in 2012, now FSU came back and eventually won the game. But in the first half, Clemson was running up and down the field on FSU, scoring at will, busted coverages, tons of talent all over the field. If you go to 2013, elite defense at Boston College, this is game four or five. Boston College drops 34, busted coverages. Lack of communication. Talent all over the field. All over the field. Go, go into the um, the National Championship game against Auburn. Elite defense. Bust the coverages. And there were a few plays that had Auburn had a better quarterback. Things might have been different. And there was a couple times where Guy was just running wide, wide open. And Trey Mason just missed him the ball in the dirt or whatever. So I say that to say this. It, it is a combination of coaching and, and personnel. You can have the greatest defensive coordinator ever, but if you don't have the players, it's just not going to happen. You can have the best players, top tier players, and if you don't have the coaching, it's not going to matter. And right now I think you have – a pretty good defensive coordinator. He just not he just he does not have the personnel and the depth to compensate for if guys go out with injuries or you know get sick or whatever. And that's also why I think you're gonna see FSU really target the portal or or really target the defensive side of the ball in the portal um this go around. Because when you look at it uh, if, you know, the ACC just announced the um, all ACC team, and when you look at it, you had you got Dylan Gibbons transfer portal, Jared Diverse transfer portal, Jamie Robinson transfer portal. All three were first teamers. And then when you look at uh, second team, uh, it was again mostly transfer guys. Johnny Wilson transfer portal. Um, Michael Pittman made honorable mention as a kickoff or punt return, I think it was. Uh, Demetri Emanuel made third team, offensive line, transfer portal. And so when you look back at the last two recruiting cycles in the transfer portal, FSU has spent way more attention on addressing the offensive side of the ball and addressing that offensive line. Uh, you know, they've gotten Keir Thomas, they got Jermaine Johnson, they got Jerry Diverse at defensive end because they had to have they had to have players at defensive end. Um, but they felt okay about, you know, uh the defensive tackle situation. But they knew they needed a linebacker. They got Tatum Bethune. And they they knew they needed defensive backs. Everybody kept saying, why do they keep bringing in def- these defensive backs? Juco, portal guys, um, you know, uh you know why do they keep bringing in these DBs? We've got enough DBs, but then you look at you look at you know throughout the season, and you know if if man God forbid if if, if Jamie Robinson would have got hurt, oh man we'd have been in trouble. We'd have been in trouble. Um, Akeem Dent got hurt. Now Shaheen Brown came in and played pretty well, but there were still a couple times where you know he you know he, he he's a young guy he made mistakes or whatever. 
you know, we took greedy Vance from the portal. Where it was like, why, why, why are we taking this guy from Louisville? And, you know, he, he, he plays better down the stretch than Kevin Knowles did. So, I mean, that's what, that was a big matchup change in the Florida game. Whenever they took Kevin Knowles off of um, Pearsall and put greedy on him, aside from, a, I think he had one defensive pass uh, interference. Aside from that, he shut Pearsall down. So, I say that to say this, this coaching staff, I trust their evaluations, especially in the portal. Um, these guys have been unreal as far as finding the right fit, as far as talent, mindset, fit, cultural fit, all that good stuff. And and I feel like, you know, this this recruiting cycle, they'll they'll spend more time attracting guys on the defensive side of the ball because you lose a lot. Uh, from Fabian Lovett, Robert Cooper leaving that decent defensive line. That you got, you got some talented guys there. Daniel Lyons, uh, Malcolm Ray. Um, you got some experience there, but you, but you, you're gonna need it. You're gonna need a difference makers. You're gonna need guys that can come in and 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 wreak havoc. You know, the same way or if not better than Fabian Lovett and Robert Cooper did, because that's what you saw whenever those two guys or one of those guys went out of the game. You saw other teams be able to kind of impose their will um, on FSU's uh, defensive line in the trenches, and so I mean, even I mean, even whenever Fabian Lovett and Robert Cooper was in a game against Florida, like I said, Florida has one of the better offensive lines. I mean, at times it looked like they were just they were just running through um, FSU's defensive front. You know, so you got to have an upgrade there. And so that's that's why I wrote, um, you know, the biggest needs from the portal uh, on Chop Chat earlier this week. You know, defensive tackle, defensive end, especially if Jared Verse leaves. Uh, you got to have that. You got to have um, at least one linebacker for sure because you're you're pretty thin. Tatum Bethune and Caitlin Deloach, Deloach played banged up all year for the most part. I mean, I remember watching Tatum Bethune uh playing with a a bum shoulder against Louisville. And that's what, the third game of the year or something like that? Bro, that's a long season with a jacked up shoulder. Um, granted, you know, they were able to kind of develop some guys. Brandon Gant, Gant was able to give you a few snaps, quality snaps here and there when you really didn't think you were going to get anything from him. Um, and, you know, he was a beast on special teams also. DJ Lundy, you know, he showed some improvement as well. But you you still need some more – you still need some more, uh, some more experience and depth there, so you don't have such a drop off, especially if you you have some guys getting hurt. Um, obviously, you got to have some some help uh, in the uh, in the secondary at DB. You you got to have you had a Renardo Green and Jamie Robinson, and that was that was it as far as like what you could what you could feel like. Okay, you're gonna get these guys are gonna be consistent. You're gonna get a consistent, good or great level of play from these guys. Like I said, Shaheen Brown has potential. I think you know next year. I think he can he can be a guy. Um, Az Thomas, I think, can be a guy. I don't know what what will happen with Amari and Cooper. You know, obviously he had a, an injury uh, that he was dealing with early in the year, and he just never really seemed to to pick up the form that he had last year. I don't know if an, an off season can help him with that. Uh, we'll see, but um, I don't know what will happen with Akeem Dent. Um, so you you could lose Dent and Robinson. So you you know you definitely need some help there at safety, and you need some help at cornerback. You just need you just need more depth and more experience um, in the secondary. And then lastly, <clears throat> excuse me. Lastly, um, I'll say uh, offensive tackle. 
Um, if you can get some true offensive tackles, you can get some guys that have been playing offensive tackle to move back to a more natural position interior because you're going to lose uh, interior guys like Dylan Gibbons and Demetri Emanuel. Um, so uh, that'll kind of solidify that issue with moving some some natural interior guys back to those positions that you're going to need um, some help to replace those two guys and then also some offensive tackles to, um, you know, play at a high level outside but going back to going back to the defense I know some people like I said I I was going to go back to this some people say well the defense it was fool's gold you know they played um, some terrible offenses Uh, they played um, backup quarterbacks so forth and so on and and here here's what I'm going to do so if you were to look at if you were to look at um, FSU's defense before the season started, and you say, okay, Clemson is the number one team in the in the in the conference. You you automatically are going to assume or say that their defense is better than FSU's. They have more talent. Obviously, they lost the defensive coordinator, so that's big. Um, but you still got way more talent on that side of the ball than FSU has. You got more talent and more depth, and that's why Clemson was able to play a few games without some guys. And still play at a high level because they they still have the depth because of um, the recruiting that they have in place, right? But if you really look at things overall, so I went and you know I said, okay, well, did we really beat up a bunch of bad teams? Yeah, we did, but we dominated those teams where you're supposed to dom- dominate them too. And so I said, okay, well, <clears throat> because we're in the same division in the ACC, you know, we play a lot of common opponents, so forth, so forth and so on. So I went. And I, I went to FE, FEI events metrics. And so FEI, they do, they do overall, you know, teams as a whole. They do um, you know, offensive rankings, defensive rankings, all that good stuff. So um, this and what this does is this accounts for, you know, uh, it's opponent adjusted. It takes out garbage time, um, you know, all, all that good stuff. It's a way better metric than um, – say total offense or total defense because those numbers are just more raw numbers and sometimes i'll use sb plus but sb plus is i don't know bill Connolly. i don't know if he changed his formula or something normally those normally you know i use his numbers a lot but this year they they've been off all year to me uh for instance um somebody posted on twitter the other day i think it was uh az bizzle um shout out to you for posting them there was only like a 40, a 40, uh, 40 uh, team gap between Miami's offense and FSU's offense. It, they had FSU at something like SB plus has FSU, FSU at like number 34 and Miami at like number 80 or something like that. And I was like, bro, there is no way there's only a 40 spot gap between those two offenses have you seen those two offenses this year that's crazy so i just kind of just discarded sb plus i was like there's a if that if those two numbers don't drive like that then i don't trust the rest of them so i went to fei and so what i did was i i totaled all of the offenses that fsu faced um aside from duquesne um so it was 11 teams and i did the same thing for clemson and so I took all of the ratings, all of the FEI advanced metric ratings for those 11 teams, and I averaged them out. <clears throat> and so FSU actually played 
a slightly a slightly um, better, um, I guess, offensive grouping than Clemson did. Um, so uh, FSU's um, average offense uh, ranking faced was um, 64.8. Clemson's average FEI offensive ranking, uh, the teams that they faced, was 67.7. So basically, you're talking about um, uh, the number 65 uh, offense and then the 68 offense. So right there, right there in the same ballpark. But here's the kicker. So obviously, obviously, you know, you're looking at, um, you know, third down conversions, red zone defense, you know, all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, what you got to look at is. How many points did they give up and how many points did your offense score? Right. So through 12 games, FSU played a, a slightly more or, or slightly better offensive grouping than Clemson did. Clemson has more talent, has more depth. FSU allowed 19.7 points per game on average. Clemson allowed 20.9. So what that tells me is, despite not having the talent and the depth that Clemson has against us, you know, it's marginal, but slightly better offensive uh, output, you're right there with Clemson. With way less talent, way less depth. Right there with Clemson. So what that tells me is, the coach is doing a pretty good job of of coordinating the defense, game planning, making adjustments, hiding weaknesses, and um, you know, and things of that nature. And then too, um, you know, if you want to look at it this way, um, Clemson's defense allowed five yards per play, and FSU's defense allowed four point seven three yards per play. Clemson's defense allowed. Um, 34.1% um, conversions. FSU was 33.74. Better there. Slightly better there. And then if you want to look at... If you want to look at defense uh, in the red zone... This is probably... I hadn't looked at this part right here. This is probably going to be telling. <clears throat> Let's see. So Clemson, Clemson allowed touchdowns fifty nine point four six percentage in the red zone. So fifty nine percent of the time they allowed touchdowns in the red zone. FSU allowed touchdowns in the, in the red zone fifty five percent of the time. FSU allowed. 20 touchdowns on the season in the red zone. Clemson allowed 22. But FSU, all they did was beat up on terrible teams with backup quarterbacks. And this is, and also let me mention this, you know, one of the, one of the biggest um, high scoring games FSU played in was against, against Louisville early in the season. And, and mind you, it was without Fabian Lovett. When Clemson played Louisville, um, they played half that game without Malik Cunningham 
and of course, you know, he was Cunningham was at full strength against against FSU. Um, now they're running and throwing and all that good stuff. Um, so you know, so you got little nuances like that too that that come into play. So, you know, I say that to say this, man. You know, I know a lot of people are talking about you know they want a defensive coordinator. My question is, okay, if you get rid of Adam Fuller, who is an elite guy you're going to get to come in here? You know, and there it is a fair question to ask. Okay, it can Adam Fuller get you know elite players to come? That is a fair question, but I think you know you don't you won't know you won't know the answer to that until you go through this next upcoming recruiting cycle because now you finally have you know kind of the the, the stability the proof of concept and you know, all of that good stuff you got uh, you you just got a first round draft pick in Jermaine Johnson you probably have a few guys drafted off this defense so you have you have more more positive to sell as far as a, a, a recruiting pitch. And when you look at who um, FSU has uh, committed for the 2023 class, I mean, look, you got you got some dudes on it, man. You got um, let me see if I can find it real quick. Hold on, just a second. You got Kildra Falk, who is a top 100 player. You got. Blake Nicholson, top 200 player, Keith Sampson, Keith Sampson, Lamont Green Jr. You know, th- those are those are some guys that can potentially be difference makers there. You got some guys, uh, Jaden Jones, JUCO coming in, who's a number four national JUCO player who looks the part, 6'6", 240 pounds. He's going to be rolling in January. He could be a difference maker. You got some guys coming in in the secondary that are very underrated, in my opinion. Uh, Quindarius Jones, Jabril Rawls. So you got you got some guys coming, and then of course you're going to need to again, like I said, address things in the transfer portal because you 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 ended things on a high note. You won the state of Florida. You're nine and three. You 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 were able you've been able to get good players from the transfer portal. The past two recruiting cycles, you got your NIL, you know, in, in, you know, in a much better place than you did at this time last year. So the same way that FSU went out there and, you know, they brought in four offensive linemen from the transfer portal. They brought in four wide receivers from the transfer portal. You know, I think that's what you need to see on the defensive side of the ball. You know, that is – that is one of the biggest reasons why the offense was playing at an elite level aside from obviously Jordan Travis's progression that n- nobody could have predicted. I mean, we saw some flashes in the final three games, but the level that Jordan Travis played at this year was, I don't think anybody ever could have predicted that. That was, that was, that was special. Not only that, you know, he proved aside from the Louisville game that he could complete, um, a full season for the first time, um, you know. So that was that was good to see. He played much smarter this year than he had in years past because he didn't have to use his legs as much. And even even then, when he used his legs, like against Florida, you saw he was still conscious enough to, you know, not take a big hit. You know, try to avoid things, slide. You know, all that good stuff. Because um, I was hoping I was like, bro, just jump in, dive over those guys into the end zone. But 
you know, took, instead of sliding or whatever. But you know, hey, if he if he does that, you know, he he might he he maybe gets cracked and then, you know, you know maybe he's not able to play anymore. So. Yeah, so you look at you know what they did in the portal to to bring that offense to play at an, at an elite level. They can do the same thing with the defense. They they're gonna have to um, if they want to win the ACC next year. The offense is gonna you know they, there is no reason why the offense should should see a drop off. Um, actually, it should be better. I think, um, which is kind of hard to say, but there there are some there are some some areas that they can improve. But if they can if they can keep playing at that level that they did over the past you know five weeks or so, and then if the defense can can take a, a even a even a small step forward um, next year and may, maybe be top twenty, you talking about you talking about ACC championship. You're talking about finishing uh, definitely in the final 12 of the college football playoff rankings next year. Hey, and at that point, anything can happen. And what's crazy is we're able to sit here after just one year of everybody thinking that it was the end of the world. You had just went five and seven. You know, you had like one of the worst early signing periods ever uh, with, with what went down. But I, I said it, I said it a couple of days after all that went down. You know, they they made the hire with Michael Alford, and I said, "Hey, now that you have a real AD, you have you have an opportunity to basically make everybody forget all this that just happened." Now, at the time, everybody thought I was crazy when I said it, but I was like, "If this AD comes in and does what he's supposed to do, and he did, he gave Novell." all types of resources. You know, they knew they needed to get their NIL deal, you know, in line ASAP. And, you know, they'd done so. But I will say, and I said it in the last um, podcast, for those of you that have never heard my podcast, you know, everybody's talking about, oh, well, we should be doing better in 2023 recruiting. Why don't we have more elite guys? You know, Miami has this or, you know, Florida has this. Guys, Florida State didn't officially launch the Rising Spear until the spring game. That was in April of this year. April was extremely late in the game to try to attract those elite players. And then we're talking about launching it, not even like, hey, we have some stuff in the coffers. We're talking about launching it and getting it off the ground in April. So really, when you think about it, it's, it's even amazing that they have the guys that they have, the difference makers that they have, um, considering that the NIL game for at Florida State just got off the ground in April. Now, it's in a much better spot than it was uh, this time last year in a much better spot than it was in April. So now you already have an excellent start to the 2024 class. You got your quarterback. You got a running back. You got some dudes already. So now you got NIL, you know, situated. You just went nine and three with the potential to go win 10. Now that 2024 class is where you can start really, really, really making the ground on, um, you know, the Clemsons and, and the Floridas. Because Florida, Florida has more talent than Florida State. 
overall. Um, but one thing you saw from Florida State this year that that really gives me hope um, whenever they do start recruiting at a at a really 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 high level is man the game planning and scouting is man listen those guys those guys put in work those guys put in work man i mean you look at it you're looking at the game and you're like man how how is that guy wide open like that how do they scheme that guy wide open like that or how do they know to run this play at that time and even and even on defense I know a lot, you know, a lot of people were giving, you know, you know, giving uh, Adam full of flack, but, you know, a good coach knows the strengths and weaknesses of his team. And, and you saw, you saw them masking a lot of deficiencies, a lot of depth issues um, by certain ways that they played certain teams that had mobile quarterbacks and, um, you know, they weren't aggressive, you know, they were betting on a team not being able to execute down the field or executing down the field and then failing in the red zone. Um, you know, so ultimately, ultimately those are smart, smart ways to go about things. Whenever, whenever you, um, you may be hamstrung with, um, you know, certain guys out or, um, you know, that your secondary might not be capable, you know, might not be capable, capable of doing this. I know a lot of people are like, why aren't we more aggressive? Why don't we, why don't we blitz more? Why don't we do that? Well, if you know your team or your players aren't really good at blitzing, then you probably shouldn't blitz. You probably should stick to what they're good at. That's what good coaches do. Right. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with, um, with Florida state and, um, and the coaches. And I'm sure Mike Neville is going to get an extension. He should, he's well-deserved. Um, and you know, I'm going to trust Norvell to, to assess the coaching staff. You know, if there are any changes, I mean, like it could be that some, some teams come say, Hey, I want him or I want this guy, whatever. And they may leave, you know, for another job. And then Norvell may have, may have to replace them or whatever. But, um, if certain coaches stay on, then, you know, you got to trust Norvell and, you know, understand there's reasons why they're still there and not elsewhere. Um, I know some people are kind of, um, afraid Alex Atkins may leave and take another job, a head coaching job somewhere or whatever. And I don't have any inside information, but just, <clears throat> just knowing what I know, I know Alex Atkins wants to be a head coach and I know that he believes Mike Novell is one of the best offensive play callers, offensive minds in college football. And I don't see him just jumping for any type of job um, whenever, you know, they just filled in an elite offense. They're probably going to do it again next year. That'll be another year of, of learning. Um, and again, you know, he's not even calling the plays, um, you know, so, you know, another year of learning under Mike Novell, uh, building more cachet, kind of putting more deposits in the bank, so to speak. And, you know, I think if he does that another year, then you, you'll probably have a better pool of, um, of schools coming, uh, because you don't want to just jump for any job. You want to jump for the right opportunity so that, 
you know, you can have some success and then use that, that job to maybe, you know, get a, a, a real big time power five gig and shout out to, um, Kenny Dillingham just became head coach at, um, Arizona state and his alma mater. So 32 years old head coach, man, that's crazy. I think I saw where he was the first head coach born in the nineties at a P five school. That's, um, that's, that's, you talk about fast track. That's fast track. And also, um, we're talking about coaches, um, Tony Tokars, um, you know, a lot of people may think, may say, oh, well, he may go to work with Dillingham at Arizona State or he may go elsewhere or whatever. And look, if I'm to- to- if you don't know Tony, Tony took an off the field coaching job to follow Mike Novell to Florida State. He had an on the field coaching job in Memphis when he was there. I think he was a tight ends coach. He took a demotion basically to follow Mike Novell to Florida State because he knew um, what what staying with Mike Novell would, would do for his career. And so, obviously, when Dylan Hem left, he was promoted to the quarterback's coach and has done an amazing job on the field with Jordan Travis, working with uh, those young guys, Tate Rodemaker and A.J. Duffy. And also, hey, you got to give you got to give it up for Tony Tokars. He's got one of the better quarterbacks in the 2024 class committed right now, Luke Krummenholt, and just went and got um, a guy that they felt you know was the best guy available to them on the board and Brock Glenn uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, from Ohio State. So from a recruiting aspect, you know, you hey, you you got somebody with Tony Tokars, and so what I feel like will happen is once Alex Atkins does find uh, a head coaching gig that you know he feels is the right spot for him then basically you'll you'll see uh, uh, Tony Tokars probably slide into that role so um again you know he's been with Mike Novell for a, a few years now and um you know while he's the quarterback coach here he's able to learn from Alex Atkins and um Mike Novell so you're talking about somebody that you know I mean they'll know pretty much um, how everything is supposed to go. And so there shouldn't be any type of fall off if, um, if, uh, if that situation happens and Tokars replaces Atkins as OC once Alex Atkins decides to go and pursue a head coaching job. So uh, that's kind of how I see that. Um, but yeah, so, but you're in a spot where if you need to make coaching changes, you have the stability now, you, you know, all the all the negative stuff that these teams have been using in the past, you know, hey, Novell's going to be fired. He's not going to be there after this year, or you know, um, coaches looking at the situation like, yeah, I don't know if he's going to be there, so I don't want to go coach there with that uncertainty. All that's out the window now. So from a coaching standpoint and from a, a recruiting standpoint, there's not too much negative stuff that. A, a team can just throw at FSU now. All that stuff out the window. I mean, heck, actually, FSU could probably start using some negative stuff if they wanted to on other programs. You know, look at Clemson. Yeah, look seems to be a little chink in the arm over there. You know, Miami, you could just, you could just, <laughs> oh God, you have a field day with what they're doing down there. Um, you just beat Florida. You, you can sell that on the recruiting trail. So, look, 
as a Florida State fan, guys, you're we're we're right where we want to be. Well, not where we want to be. Obviously, we want to be winning national championships. But as far as like on the climb, you we're 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 climbing. Uh, you have an opportunity to to stack another great year, um, and back to back years um, with this one and next year. Um, got an opportunity to really make a difference as far as um, recruiting goes, and continue to close that gap um, between yourself and Clemson. Um, I mean, that's ultimately, you know, that's where that's that's where the where the ACC championships are going to go through right now, and you're going to have a, a prime opportunity next year to to reclaim that throne. Um, you just got to keep working, got to keep developing players and uh, bringing in difference makers. But um, that's about all I have for this episode. Um, really appreciate you guys tuning in and um, showing your patience with me. Um, really would appreciate it if you haven't had a, had a chance to um, rate the podcast on whatever platform you listen uh, on. We're at 51 um reviews we would love i would love to get that up to like 60 or 70 um by next week if you could um if you rated it a long time ago you can go back and and do a new one um i appreciate all of you that share um my content on social media it really really means a a bunch to me the last episode that we did um last week um, was the fourth highest that we've ever had so hey let's keep going man um I'm going to be, you know, recording, um, talking about the transfer portal, recruiting, uh, bowl games, and all that good stuff uh, as as things come about. So, appreciate the support. Make sure you check out BetOnline.ag for all your betting needs. And until next time, go know. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.